Well, good morning, Five Stones. How are you guys doing? Welcome to our service. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time or if you're, you're coming online and just checking us out, I just want to welcome you to our church family here uh, in New Westminster. And I would just want to say hi. And if you want to reach out and say hi back, uh, that would be great. And today I want to address something that everybody has been talking about. Unless you live under a rock and you don't see anything publicly or you don't see what the, the world is, is dealing with right now, you know that there is one news that has shadowed COVID-19. And this is the news of George Floyd on May 25th, 2020, which is about two weeks ago now, was killed by police officers unjustly. What's happened on this day is horrific, and we all could agree that this act is gross, it's despicable, and it's inhumane. And so as a leader and as a pastor, I feel that if we do not address this with our church community, I feel like we are not leading this church family well. I know that there is a lot of chatter out there and how we need to respond. What Black Lives Matter is about how we can bring change. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of guilt. There's a lot of shame. There's a lot of anger. A lot of us feel very uncomfortable. And all of these things, I feel is good. Why is it good? Is because it's good because it forces us to look at, at something that we all live with. It forces us to see that we are doing something wrong. And so today I want us to know what God's heart is through the sin of racism. What is racism? Racism is the prejudice and the discrimination directed against someone's race based on the belief that your own race is superior to another race or races. It is the sin of idolatry. This has been brought to the forefront of every person's mind around the world right now. It has the world divided, it has nations divided, it has the church divided. What happened on May 25th to George Floyd isn't something that is new or shocking. What happened on that day is simply the exposure of what is happening and what continues to happen for centuries to black people around the world. And what is different this time is that it was caught on film for the world to see. This became the straw that broke the camel's back. As America continues to, to riot and protest this, we see that this systemic problem is something that nobody really likes to talk about because this is a very uncomfortable topic for the majority. The majority doesn't want to believe racism exists. It's still shocked that it exists because the reason is because they don't live with the threat of racism on a daily basis. However, if you ask any black person or any indigenous person, they can clearly tell you that it exists every single day of their lives. That the majority may have experienced prejudice against themselves at some point. However, to experience racism, they have not. They have, you have to be part of the minority in this world which is being black or being indigenous 
to experience what racism really is about. So before I get into the message here, I want to pray. I want to pray for the Holy Spirit to move in our hearts today and to challenge our very core. So let's pray. Father God, as we come before you and talk about something that is so dear to your heart, Lord, we just pray that as we get into Scripture, Lord, that our hearts are broken just like yours is broken, that as we look at what the world has risen up around, Lord, that we see your heart in all of these things. Lord, that we don't just look at the, the, the issues or the problems, but we look at the systemic problem of racism and the sin of racism and how you have brought it up to a surface, to a place where, where, where you, you're saying, look, these are my people and I love them, so let's treat every single one of these people equally as you would treat yourself. So, Father God, as we pray and as we, we dive into your word, Lord, may our hearts be humble enough to receive these words so that we could truly see just your heart in this particular issue. So, Lord, we just lift up our worship to you. And Lord, may you be glorified in all these things. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to Proverbs 31. In Proverbs 31, it says this. It says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and the helpless and see that they get justice. I believe that God has a message and that he is speaking through this time. And that everything that is happening, that God is using what has happened because he is a good God and he fights for his people. So the injustice, when an injustice happens to a group of people that God loves so much, God wants to prove himself faithful. Black lives matter, but not only do they matter to God, Black lives are precious to him. God commands us to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. And so it is for all of us that are not black to speak up right now for our black brothers and sisters today and highlight the injustices that have been in place, not because other races don't, don't feel injustice and don't feel discriminated against, but because there is a big disparity of discrimination towards our, the black people around the world and that the injustice that they face, no other race has to endure. The systems that are in place are made to work against them. This systemic racism towards black people was created and enforced around the world for generations. Jane Elliott, an educator and anti-racism activist, the writer of Blue Eye, Brown Eye, in one of her seminars asked this question to a room full of white people. She said this, I said, I want every white person in this room who would be happy to be treated as this society in general treats our black citizens. If you are white, if you are a white person, would you be happy to receive the same treatment that our black citizens do in this society? Please stand. The room didn't move. 
She said, please stand. Maybe you didn't understand the directions. If you folks want to be treated the way black are, are in this society, stand. Nobody is standing. And in response, she says this, because you are not standing, that says very plainly that you know what is happening. You know you don't want it for you, and I want, you, I want to know why you are so willing to accept it or allow it to happen for others. I know that this week has been a slew of activity. You jump onto social media and there's all of these feelings that everybody is feeling and sometimes we feel like we don't know what the right thing to say is. But by being silent, we become part of the problem. God says, speak up for the poor and the helpless and see that they have justice. God hates racism. In Numbers, in Numbers chapter 12, there's this weird little story in there. And it is around a problem that arises with Moses. So Miriam and Aaron, they come and they confront Moses because Moses has married a Cushite woman. For those that don't know what a Cushite woman is, a Cushite woman is a black woman. So Mar Moses was in an interracial marriage with a black woman. And how, we, how do we know that Moses married a black woman? It's because Cushite, the region is south of Egypt, and that area was predominantly black. And so we know that Moses has married a black woman, and Miriam and Aaron confronts Moses about marrying someone of a different color. And so what happens is God looks at this and sees this discussion, sees this conf confrontation of Miriam and Aaron, and God pulls the three of them together and says, what is the issue here? Miriam speaks up, and God looks at Miriam and Aaron and says, no, you guys are wrong. Moses is doing something that is right here. There's nothing wrong with what he's doing, but what you see is the color of her skin. And so what does God do? God gives leprosy to Miriam. Almost in a way in saying when God gave Miriam leprosy, it says in the Bible, when Aaron looked at Miriam, she was pale. Where God was saying, like, you like white skin so much, I'm going to give you white skin in the form of leprosy. God's justice towards the racism, towards Moses' Cushite white, Wife, this is the justice that God has given her. I mean, if you read that story, we, we do see that there is forgiveness and there is grace that God extends through Moses because Moses asks, comes to God and says, God, forgive her because she doesn't know what she's doing. And so God says, okay, banish her out of the camp for seven days. Isolate her for seven days. Take her out of the, the, the camp and after seven days, when she returns, then she will be healed. And for seven days, the camp did not move until those seven days passed. God does not endorse racism. So what does justice look like for us? What are we fighting for when we were looking at our systems, today's system? What does it look like for us as North Americans, as a modern day people? What does justice look like? Justice looks like this. It looks when, this, 
when a black man is treated the same as a white man in a society where the laws are written by a historically white supremacist mentality of racism towards black, that blacks are getting equal treatment. I'm not going to go into the history of it because there's a ton of resources out there. There's a ton of feeds. There's plenty of resources for you to educate yourself on what systemic racism is about. I'm not going to get into that, but as a church, we have the responsibility to speak up and seek justice where there is injustice. We have the responsibility to seek God in finding the answers towards sin, towards racism, towards things that break God's heart, to protest against a broken system and to make sure that that system isn't just putting another bandage on it, but that it restructures how it functions. For all of us, that are non-black and in places of influence, this protest and your protest can be one that influences those in your circles to look at things differently and speak up when there's racial profiling or racial speech against blacks in place. We need to do this until something changes. Luke 18 Jesus uses a parable of, a, of the persistent widow. And he tells his disciples this parable to, to teach them, to show them how to pray and how to not give up. It says this, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come back and attack me. And the Lord said to, and, and Jesus said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will God not bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and justice quickly. That Jesus tells us that we need to not only pray, that we need to speak and not give up until we see justice happen. Until we see that things are put in are righted. All the wrongs are righted. This is how the church needs to respond. To protest, to look at our system and not, and not only not be racist, but to be anti-racist. Why? Because to be anti-racist is to be anti-sin. Racism is a sin of idolatry, and Jesus' work and his business is all about anti-sin. So if we are followers of Jesus, it isn't enough. It isn't enough for us to not just be not racist, but we need to be active in being anti-racist. Sometimes we as Canadians, we look and we say, well, racism in Canada is, is not the same as America. This is more of an American problem. No, it is not. Black people all around the world are treated the same. Look at South Africa. Look at London. Look at Europe. Look at Australia. Look at China. Look at Canada. We experience racism even 
if it looks different. Yes, it may look different in many ways from America, but the reality is that it is very, very similar if we start digging into it. Let me give you some stats. Black Canadians make 25% less annual income than a non-racialized Canadian doing the same job. Black Canadians are far more likely to be unemployed and seen as unemployable. Black Canadians are nearly twice as likely to be considered low income. Black Canadians are more likely than any other racial groups in Canada to be victims of hate crime. And these are some of those hate crimes. Black community make up a 3.4% of Canada's population, yet 9% of police fatalities. Black people in Toronto are 20 times more likely to be shot dead by the police. Black people in Halifax are six times more likely to be carted by the police and black drivers in Ottawa are 2.3 times more likely to be stopped by the police. And these statistics are even worse for our indigenous population. Part of the reason I believe that our stats are not higher is only because we have a smaller population of blacks than in America. In 2018, we actually have a very similar story with a very different outcome. In Edmonton, about a, man by the, a black man by the name of Jean-Claude Rucundo was pinned down on the floor and being arrested for coming to help his wife after she got into a car accident. And while he was on the phone speaking to the insurance company, an officer told Rucundo that he had to leave the scene or he will be arrested. Rucundo refused because he's trying to help his wife. This is just about an insurance claim on a car accident. The officer escalated the problem and the situation and Rakunda was forcibly arrested with the same knee to the back of the neck hold that was placed on George Floyd. The only difference was that he experienced it for 40 seconds. Rakundo said, I couldn't breathe in that moment. I feared for my life. I was worried for my kids, and I'm the only one bringing in money for them. The couple went on to say, I believe that if we were white, the officers would have treated us very differently. This is in Canada. Canada is not better we are not better. We all live in a broken system, and it is the church's, this is the church's opportunity to lead in a way that we can reconcile, repair, and rebuild a new way, God's way of living. So what can we do as a church? By extending God's love, kindness, and mercy. In Mark 12, 31, Jesus gave us the, great com the greatest commandment, the greatest commandment to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and strength. Then he goes on to say, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is not, there is not greater command than these. Love God and love your neighbor. There's no other command that is greater than these two. No other greater command. You cannot love your neighbor while supporting or accepting a system that crushes, exploits, and dehumanizes them. You cannot love your neighbor while accepting less for them and their family than you do for your own. 
You cannot just say, well, I have black friends, so therefore I can't be racist. It just means that you are inclusive and, inclusive and you don't have a prejudice against a black friend, but if you still accept the fact that your black friend lives a life that is so different from yours, one where they are treated different, where they are paid less to do the same thing, where one where they live in fear of how police will treat them who are supposed to serve and protect them, but they are treated differently because of the color of their skin, if you're able to accept one where you're able, where they have less and you're okay with them having less, you are racist towards your black friend. To love, to show kindness and God's mercy is to fight for the same rights that you have to live for them to live. When you love in this way, when you stand up in a way for your black friends where you're saying, I know there's something not right here. When your black friend gets a job that is exactly the same as yours and you see that their pay is less, you need to speak up because that's systemic racism. When you hear stereotypical jokes against any other race, you need to speak up because that's systemic racism. You need to speak up, and when you speak up, then you are actively being anti-racist, anti and that's what God wants us to do. That's how we love, that's how we extend kindness, and that's how we extend mercy to our black friends. When we show love in this way, when you show love in God's way, this love, kindness, and mercy of God only results in one thing, and that is repentance. The kindness of God turns people to repent. And repentance results in a humility of ourselves and to do it God's way. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7, 14, it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. Our posture is a posture of humility, to seek God and to turn from our wicked ways. This is the posture we are to take. C.S. Lewis says this, If anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell them the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud and a bigger step is a bigger step too. At least nothing whatever, nothing whatever can be done before it. If you think you are not conceited, it means you are very conceited indeed. And I think this logic also applies to the issue of racism as well. One reason racial discrimination continues to happen is that it appeals to the core of our sin nature. In the Garden of Eden, the serpent promised Eve that if she ate the forbidden fruit, you will be like God. From then to now, our desire to be our own God is at the root of all our sin. As the, the will to power, as, Nietzsche, as Friedrich Nietzsche says, is the basic drive in human nature. Here's my point. Racism is a way to feel superior to others on the basis of unchanging realities. 
If I'm white and you're black, I will always be white and you will always be black. And if I delude myself into believing that being white is superior to being black, I will therefore always feel superior to you. This temptation is alluring on so many levels that we often don't recognize. In fact, I think Satan wants us to not acknowledge our our discrimination and our discriminatory inclinations in case we admit and repent of them. A good first step in confronting racism is to check ourselves, to ask the Holy Spirit to show you any, any unstated attitudes or assumptions that are discriminatory. Ask him to reveal to you any thoughts, words, or actions that are racist. Pray regularly for such discernment, and when necessary, repent. These last two weeks have made me check myself a lot. I've done a lot of reading and educating of myself of, of the systemic problem, and it has taken me through the full gamut of emotions. In, in the role that I play, do I contribute or take away from this? Are there attitudes or assumptions that discriminate? I ask myself, am I part of the majority even though I'm not white, or am I a part of the minority and face racism if, if I'm not black? I even ask myself, are these the right questions to ask myself? As an Asian Canadian, I ask myself, do I hold on to these white supremacist values? And am I racist? Am I myself racist? And my conclusion is yes. I am, and I have fallen into that sin of of racism as well. Why and how do I know this? Because in my soul searching and where I stand and what I am doing and how I am contributing, I realize that in growing up, I held on to these values. And how do I know I held on to these values is because as a young man, being Chinese Canadian in an all-white culture, I wanted to be white. I knew that if I was white, I would be accepted more. I knew that if I was white, that I would not need to prove, as, prove myself as much and that I would be treated equally. So what did I do? I adopted white culture as my own culture. And as a result, you see what you see here today a very confused Chinese man. One that has had my share of prejudice and stereotypes towards me. But as I look, I realize that I've had my stereotypes and prejudice against people that were not like me. As I look at my history and in my past, I remember many, many times distinctly of me and my white friends looking down on our indigenous friends and treating them differently. In the prairies, there's not many, many black people at all. But racism isn't just towards the black. 
is towards any race that you look down towards. And here in North America, the blacks and indigenous people are probably by far, by far, a huge disparity that these two races probably face the most injustice towards them. And I remember in my youth, growing up in the prairies, where in the way that I saw my indigenous friends, the stereotypes of them being lazy, them being drunkards, them taking advantage of our Canadian taxes, were my beliefs on my indigenous friends. And for that, I am sorry. If we continue to perpetuate these stereotypes in a system that puts them down, what we're doing and what we are is sinning. And it's the sin of racism. We live in a, a Canadian system, very much like the American system, that is teaching generations of kids of how our great nation is, but where historically racial injustices are weaved through our laws and our legislation. And what God is calling us to do right now is that God, and what God requires of us is to act justly, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with him. By protesting and standing with what is happening across the world right now, and saying, Black Lives Matter, is standing as allies in a fight that the world needs to fight together. Because until there is equality for all races, we are living in a, system, in a system of injustice, and we're not living in what God has established here on earth. This is what the gospel is about, that we are all children. This is what Jesus established on the cross, that he died for every single person so that we could become Children of God. And when Jesus died, forgiveness and a model of reconciliation was presented before us. In Galatians chapter 3, it says this, For you are all children. You are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And all who have, fulfilled, who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. And let me ask, let me add, there's no longer white, black, indigenous, people of color. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Note here that there, it's not that, note here is that Jesus says that we are all seen as equals. That we are all equal as Christ and all children and that it's, it's not about not seeing race. God created every single race. God doesn't want us to not see race. God wants us to see the race and, and celebrate the race that we have. But what, God is, what, what Paul is writing here and what Jesus came to die for is that all races are seen as equal. My goal here today in preaching this is not to attack or to bring guilt or to condemn to bring condemnation but to bring reconciliation however in order for reconciliation to happen sometimes we have to face things and talk about things that are uncomfortable 
and to sit with uncomfortable feelings and hear words that, that, that may seem to be attacking us. All of this is necessary so that we can call out things that are in our lives that contribu- contribute and perpetuate a system that is wrong. We all have the responsibility to stand for injustice and make wrongs right. If you feel uncomfortable or attacked today, then it is time for us to check ourselves. As we move into a time of communion, let us remember Paul's word. As we remember what Jesus did on the cross, let us ask ourselves what we personally need to do. God sees all of us equal, created equal, and has paid the price for us all to be equal and seen as children of God. So today, as we approach our communion time, it is an opportunity to remember what Christ died for. It is an opportunity for us to take a moment and come to the cross to repent of the sins that we have or the sins that we may not have uncovered. There is grace in all of this. So if you could get your communion ready here, get your, your bread and your cup ready, and we're going to partake in communion today. But before we take communion, I want us to take a moment of silence to think of all our black friends, family, neighbors. A neighbor isn't just someone that is living beside you. A neighbor is anybody that you come into contact with. And look at the injustice that they face. And take a moment to ask for God's heart to be your heart. Repent of things that need to be repented of. If you have not contributed to fighting for these injustices, repent of that. It doesn't mean that you need to stand in the front of the square and protest, but even that your protest be of one that says, I no longer will speak these stereotypes against my black brothers and sisters. That is your protest. That if your protest looks as if I have places of influence and I have influence to help change a system that is against my black brothers and sisters, that is your protest. Your protest does not need to look like a protest of standing in a square. But if you are certainly inclined to do that, please do it. But I need us to really think about who we are and where we stand. And today as we come, come into a place of communion, remember the gospel. That when Jesus came to die on the cross, he came to establish something that is brand new. And as a church, we need to act in a place of something that is brand new. So let us take a moment and we're going to go into a time of communion. On the night before Jesus was betrayed and went to the cross, Jesus took the bread and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this and take this in remembrance of what I'm doing on the cross, the body of Christ broken for you.
And in the same way, Jesus took the cup and said, this is my blood, which is poured out for you. And what I've established here is something brand new, a new covenant. Do this in remembrance of what I've done for you. Father God, as we come before you, Lord, we ask again to break our hearts for what breaks yours. Lord, that if we have wronged anybody or if we have done anything in a place where we have perpetuated a system against that is unjust towards others, Lord, that we're able to stand in a place of repentance, of humility, but then to go and seek justice and to act kindly and to love kindly and to extend mercy. So, Father God, we just come before you and we just ask for your forgiveness. But, Lord, we ask for your heart and we ask for your wisdom in how we are to move as a church. So, Lord, we love you. We want to give our worship to you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, church, thanks for joining us today. We love you. We care for you. Stay safe out there. And we'll see you next week.